You know, I, when I hear a song like that, I'm reminded of something. That our very lives are a building project. No matter where you are in the journey of life, as long as you have the breath of life, you're in a building project. And, and the Bible reminds us, uh, you know, um, I, I, I think I told this story one time that uh, Billy Graham, when he was well into his 90s, you may sit down. They asked him the question, so when are you going to retire? He says, first of all, that the word retire doesn't occur in the Bible anywhere. <laughs> and that at 90, that God still has a work for him to do. And, and, and so we put ourselves on our own human um, schedules, right? On our own human calendar. And we say, by the time I'm this age, I should have done this. And by the time I'm this age, I'm getting ready to retire. As though your useful life, your productive life runs out at a certain point in time. The Bible talks about people that served the Lord until they were no more. God just took them home. You know, so um, I'm reminded that we, we're all building every day, every day, every moment of your life, is a, you're in a building project. And the question is, what, what are you building? When, 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 when people look at the edifice of your life, when they look at that construction project, is it evident and obvious to all what you're building or what you're letting the Lord build through, through you? I, I'm going to read very quickly, and that's really not what the um, evening's conversation is about. I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 7. I'm going to read verses 24 through 27. It says, uh, Therefore, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and uh, beat against the house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundations on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Father, thank you for inspiration. Thank you for guiding us. Thank you for directing us. Thank you for instructing us this day, Lord, that everything we speak and everything we hear, my Father, might be at the direction and the unction of your Holy Spirit, so that we would have heard from you this evening. In Jesus' name I pray. If you read this verse of Scripture... It talks about, actually, the title of it, it says, The Wise and the Foolish Builders. But I want to point your attention to that. Even the wise builders, they, their construction project went through the same challenges as the foolish builder. So it wasn't that the circumstances of life didn't come to the wise uh, builder's structure. That for, every, for even the wise builder and the foolish builder, the same circumstances of life came to them. Yet, in those same circumstances, one house stood and the other fell. Why? The Bible tells us clearly because one was built on a rock. It had foundations laid upon a rock. So when we look at your life today, when you look at your life, because that, that may be a metaphor for something, but the song was saying, I'm going to build my hope on the things that are eternal. When you think about your today and your tomorrow, are you thinking in the short term or are you thinking in the long term? Are all your decisions based on instant gratification? What will this mean for me right now in this moment? Are you taking the long view? 
Remember, Abraham, yes, he had two sons, but one son was of promise. But the Bible tells us today that anyone that is a child of Jesus Christ is by implication an heir of Abraham. So one man looking at one thing that God had given to him, which was to raise Isaac and pass the uh, seed of faith into Isaac, through that one man's faithfulness to that one son, we have a generation, over 3 billion people today, a lot of them nominal, but yes, they still name the name of Christ. So through one man's building project, a foundation was laid for 3 billion people today. And so who are you building for? Are you building for the short term? It, will, will your construction project outlive you? Because that's the measure of God. I've said this before, that God works in one generation with the eye on subsequent generations. If your construction project does not outlive you, then you're building upon the sand. Because the truth of the matter is that the Bible tells us someday every man's work is going to be tested. Every man's building project is going to be tried. The building inspectors are going to come. Pastor IBK knows a lot about this. That's his area. The building inspectors are going to come and they're going to give your house the once over. When that inspector is done, will that house stand or will it be condemned? Most of you know that we have a structure that is right next to our church here. Do you ever see anybody there? There is a structure there, right? Can anybody live there? Do you know why? Uh, uh, Margaret Thatcher, tell us. <laughs> Can you tell us why? Absolutely. There were defects in the structure that condemns that structure now. That even though you want to buy it, you can't buy it. Because the, the inspectors have deemed that house uh, unworthy for occupation. So it stands there, it looks good, it looks pretty, everybody admires it as, you, as it goes by, but nobody, it's not good for anything. It's absolutely good for nothing. It's not good to the people that built it. It's not good, any good for the people that admire it or the people that want to use it. Absolutely good for nothing because that was a structure that was built on sand. So when you look at your whole life, I want to challenge you this evening. Don't think short-term because short-term um, thinking only gets you this far. It may get you a measure of success, but God isn't looking for success in the short-term. Remember, when God does a building project, he's building for generations. And so ask yourself this question. Every time you make a decision, what is dry? Is this a short-term? Yeah, sometimes we have to make short-term decisions because even the long-term decisions you make are based on, I mean, if I'm taking a journey today, I don't start from here and get to Lagos. I have to start from here and leave my subdivision, drive to the interstate, drive through a number of cities, before I get to that airplane, before I get to that airport and board the airplane and then fly thousands of miles. So each day we're taking a series of steps. But as you take each step, what is the objective? Are you thinking long term? Because if you're thinking long term, maybe some of the steps you take, you take different steps. Some of the decisions and the choices that you make in the short term, if you inform them in the light of the long perspective, maybe you say, Rather than do this, let me do that. Rather than do Black Friday, maybe I need to save for a missions trip. Because if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. So 
build on the solid foundation. And that foundation enduring is the word of God. The word of God is forever settled. It never changes. Times will come and times will go. Fads will come and fads will go. Seasons will come and seasons will change. Um, my daughter was wearing something the other day. It was a flared pair of pants and shoes this high. And she thought she was looking cool. I said, when I was growing up in the 70s, we used to wear this thing called platforms. I don't know how many of you remember. Platforms, yes? We used to have these black power combs we stick in the back of our jeans pocket. Combat our afro, looking cool. So I see these young boys, they have these big afros, and they think they just arrived. There is nothing new under the sun. What is has been and what will be has already been, the Bible tells us. So it's only new to them. It's not new, right? So I, I'm challenging us. Let our lives be anchored on the things that are solid, the things that are eternal. Because if you keep the long perspective, your short-term actions, your short-term decisions will be anchored on that which will get you to your long-term destination. And do so in a manner that doesn't put the news around your neck. So build on the things that are eternal. Ask yourself, when, before you make any decision, what is the long-term objective here? Before you decide where you're going, what you're buying, what you're eating, who you're spending time with, every single one of life's choices and decisions. Because remember, the greatest asset we have in life is not our money, it's our time. You can lose money and make money with time, okay? But once time is spent, it's gone. It never comes back. What you didn't do yesterday that you were meant to do yesterday you can never get that opportunity yesterday to do it again. You can only make up for it, but that time is gone. And so the investment of your time in things that are eternal, in things that are meaningful, I mean, I, I, I have chosen, because I used to be a news junkie. I mean, I, I'd watch Fox News from now till the cows come home. And when Fox News ends, I'll turn on something else. Because I felt I needed to keep up with the news. But it's all nonsense. Yeah. It's, it's all nonsense. Because that time that I'm investing in uh, advertising dollars for Fox or whoever it was can be used doing something that has an internal impact. Because the news will change. The news will change. But the word of God is permanent, constant. It is forever settled. It will never change. So I, I didn't mean to take too much time doing that. Now, they asked me this evening to make myself available to ask, answer questions from Sunday. Let me tell you this. I hope you guys know that we live in a hyper-sexualized world. I was watching a, uh, um, I remembered a um, commercial that I saw, uh, well, it's been a while back, but it was a Carl's, um, what's that uh, fast food thing? They make hamburgers. Now, the commercial for this hamburger place was this skimpily woman. Um, the majority of our, her assets were out there for people to evaluate, okay? And all she had in her hand was a very juicy burger, and she was eating a burger on a car. I'm saying, okay, so is this, a, a, is this commercial trying to tell me to look at a barely clothed woman, or is it telling me I should go buy a burger? Because Madison Avenue understands that sex sells. And so they use that to sell even to our children. Now, 
For those of you that have young children, Disney is dangerous. Because Disney gives the impression that, uh, what is that, the children's uh, channel. They give you the impression of innocence. It's, after all, it's Disney. But the kinds of, do you know what the debate was on, uh, how many of you know of the uh, movie called uh, Frozen? What was that favorite song? What was that song from Frozen? Let it go. Now, so the controversy with Elsa, because the, with Disney, they're bringing a second one, is that Elsa, I think, has a companion now. And that companion is gay. Yes. And they're writing it deliberately into the story. The state of Alabama banned a TV show called Arthur. Every day when we're walking down the street, everybody that we meet has an original point of view. My children loved this thing when they were growing up. But today, Arthur has a gay partner that's written deliberately, not, not overtly, not covertly, overtly into the whole thing. And your children are watching. And for those of us who uh, we have a lot going on, and so we outsource or delegate our parental role to the TV, that's where your children are picking up this thing. So when a six-year-old child or a five-year-old child is talking about notions, um, things that you yourself as an adult have a challenge talking about. You wonder, where did you get it? It's Disney. Here's the, here's the difficulty with audiovisual. They said 10% of, of the things you, you see, you see, you retain. 20% of the things you hear, you retain. Or maybe they flip the percentage. Uh, 30%, uh, but about 70 or 80% of the things you see, hear, and do. 80 to 90% you, ret you retain. So when this became obvious, instructors and trainers understood that standing and, and giving speeches leads to only 10% reten retention. And so they built a whole system of audiovisuals into training. And so the most impactful trainings now are the ones that have audiovisual components. You, see some, you hear somebody say something, you see them performing nothing, and then they give you an opportunity to do it. So here, see, do. As a matter of fact, they've built it into uh, online training modules now, where there's an instructional piece, and then you watch somebody do it. And that's actually how Jesus discipled uh, his, uh, his, the, the disciples. That was his model. They saw him teach. They heard him teach. He gave them each one. You remember he sent them out two by two? into the highways and byways, and then they came back with their report, here's what we do. So they had an opportunity to hear, they had an opportunity to see Jesus do it, and they had an opportunity to do it themselves. Is it any wonder then that when Jesus left the scene, that these people had been so effectively discipled that they were reproducing Jesus wherever they went? The Bible said that when they went to a certain place, that people took notice that they had been with Jesus. Why? Because they saw the fruit of Jesus' life reproduced in this thing. So that's the power of audiovisuals. And that's why our children are being indoctrinated today. Because they have the component of seeing, hearing, and then most of them have them perform action. So they are doing. Is it a wonder to us that 90% of the things the children, our children learn, if you ask them, they saw somebody do it on TV. So if you're a parent here, my challenge to you is be diligent about parenting.
be diligent about parenting. Parenting isn't for cowards. Your primary duty as a parent is not to be a friend to your child. But if you do parenting well, when your children grow up, they'll be your friend. But if you seek to be their, par- their friend first, when they grow up, they'll resent you. Because children crave boundaries. You have to put boundaries for your children. I mean, I, I, I know a per- per- persons in this church that say, school days, my kids don't watch TV. Find a book and read. By the way, they said for black people, people that look like me, not like Pastor Sharon. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh, oh, Sister Henrietta. They said if you want to hide something from black people, put it in a book. Because we don't, we're, we're not naturally curious in that way. But if you want to show them what they need to do, put it on BET. So, so, and BET is a highly sexualized TV network. Think about all of your TV shows that, that people watch now. The sexual content is unbelievable. The social messaging is things you tell your children not to do. Those are the sexual, social messages that are being reinforced. So, is it a wonder when a, six, a six-year-old girl, I'm sorry, a five-year-old girl in a kindergarten is set upon by three of our mates in kindergarten and they assault her sexually? Nine-year-old gang rapers. Where are they getting it from? It's not, I, I know their parents didn't sit them one day and say, hey, come, let me show you how to be a gang rapist. No. But that's what's happening. My wife talked about the first time I heard it, I was shocked about National Bud Grab Day. Did any of you know this? Huh? How many of you know about National Bud Grab Day? It's actually a national day in high school where boys grab girls behind. Okay. And then when they became, become a president, it, huh? I'm sorry, because that's one of the things that just blew my mind. Yes, ma'am. Because I couldn't believe that that can be a national day. I just assume that it may be in one or two high schools, no. but how can we as people, any parent, because if, if my children were still in school and they came home and told me something like that, you know, we can protest and I, go to the board of, uh, and, and make some noise. Yeah. I cannot see how parents are aware of this. I, I, I wasn't aware because I don't have children in that age. Yes, me right? neither. But I'm saying if Maybe parents don't even know this because this is the first time I ever heard of that. How can they allow butt grabbing in school and, and, and won't allow prayer in school? And when they become presidents or, or congressmen and they go about grabbing women by you, you wonder where they got it from. Absolutely. Uh, president. So tell me what is happening. Why are we as parents not aware of these things and why are we not doing anything about it? Pastor Sharon, because, and I'll let everybody speak, but parents are overwhelmed. The old model when we were growing up where, um, I'll speak in my own context, where mothers stayed home, right? And daddies went and uh, 
killed the cows and killed the goats and brought the meat home for mommy to cook. Where mommy was a nurturer in the home. Sometimes you say these things in some places, they say you're old-fashioned, you're a chauvinist, you're that. But mammon, the pursuit of money, so that we can impress people we don't care about. Yes? We can buy things we don't need, so that we can impress people that we don't care about, so that they say we're keeping up with the Joneses and the Tom, and we're losing our children. Because mom, remember that thing about building on things that are eternal. If, if you go out and take that job, mommy, with a young child, are you looking in the long picture? Are you keeping the long perspective? Yes, sir. Uh, um, if I could, I'd like to add to um, kind of address the question. I think one of the big issues is that, um, is that we're kind of we're outmatched. We're outmatched. Um, for instance, and, you know, I can speak from my personal experience with my kids. Um, you can try to do the right things in your household, but then when the kids go to school, you got this influence. And then like Pastor was saying, they cut on TV, there's that other influence. Right. And it's like if all these different influences are all kind of lining up together against what you're saying, then you're kind of you're getting beat out. And um, I think that's why it's so important to have the community, to have these different ears of respect, res responsible, respectful people in all of these children's lives to con consistently reiterate, you know, this is the right thing, this is the right thing, in different types of ways because er everything that I say to my son, um, you know, he doesn't just, he just, he doesn't just take, you know. Um, I could say something and then say, um, Richard could say something, or I, Revelation, I could use her, um, because um, she speaks softly this, and carries a big stick. Exactly. Well, no, it's just the, the fact that she can speak to my son, and she can say the exact same thing that I say to him, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he will listen to it. Yeah. You know, and it's just that it has to be. We have to unite, and we have we have to unite, and we have to be aggressive with, with our children because the television is aggressive. Television is aggressive, yeah. and not just from a sexual standpoint. There's killing. There's um, the music, lying. Yeah. There's um, um, popular culture. adultery. Yeah. Like these things are promoted. Yeah. These things are promoted as it, because because it sells. Nobody. My buddy's uh, um, my buddy's uh, he does filming and, and things like that. And he was filming. Um, it was a church. It was a choir group, and they were trying to do like a documentary, and it was boring. And it was it was just a boring. And he he would ask them. He would give them input. And say that it's, you know, it's not really exciting. There's nothing here. And the reality is that people don't want to see a church group doing the right thing, singing, learning songs, and, and hearing about their situations. People want to see Housewives of Atlanta. <laughs> and that's what people want to see. People, they want to see drama. A lot of them church folks, right? Yes. 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 Let, let, me, let me say this. So... Because when I hear that, I, it's, it's very interesting, and it's very true. But I'm wondering, I told you most of our kids, by the time they are 9, 6 to 9, they're all exposed to pornography. And where do they see that? On the devices that we give them. So I'm, I'm curious, who buys the TVs in the house? Who buys the devices and the phones? Who buys them the iPads? 
So literally where parents, as parents, giving their children the guns with which they are committing suicide. I'm wondering, what was life like before we had TV, before we had cell phones? Let me tell you, I was going to work in Virginia one day, and if you know anything about Virginia, uh, I'm sorry, Maryland to Virginia, I-95 in the morning is where you don't want to be. So I had gotten left, I was in traffic, and it dawned on me that I did, I'd forgotten my phone at home. So immediately I felt naked. Now, it, it, it occurred to me that I needed to get off and go back and get my phone. Now, I've left my ring at home before. I didn't have the sign of panic. <laughs> the sense of panic that hit me. And I immediately told myself, I've been trained. Because I felt naked without my phone. So I purposed that day, phone, I'm going to master you today. And I went, you know, I got to work, got into my work activities and forgot that, in fact, I had left the phone at home. But again, we, we are the ones that are, because we don't want our kids to feel bad because their mates and their peers have these things. But let, let them feel bad today if it heals them tomorrow. I don't want to refute that, you know. Go ahead and but, refute it. This is my opinion. But, but, I'm, um, but I'm just kind of explaining a, um, a, a, a part to that, right? Right. So if, if your child doesn't have a phone, yes. and, and this is kind of along the lines of what I was saying initially, if your child doesn't have a phone and can't get a phone and he's going to school and everyone else has a phone, right. that poses a different type of um, problem. It's, it's along the lines of... It's, is this, influence, is this influence that's combating against the influence at home? And a lot of times, and not that it's right, but that influence wins, you know? And that's, it's a different, and um, when I was growing up, I got in trouble, I got a whooping, right? Well, my friends got whoopings too, you know? And we could talk about it. But now, one kid gets a whooping, nobody else gets a whooping, it's cruelty to to, um, to cheer, yeah. and, and, and it's a real issue that goes along with that. All right. Uh, Revelation. Um, I hear what my brother LT is saying, right. but I don't agree. Let me tell you why. And that's just your opinion, right? That's my opinion. Okay. Um, I do believe that it takes a village to raise a child. And you start raising your child the day they are born. Right. Not when they're six or when they are nine. The day they are born. And things you put in place from day one, you may not see the manifestation then. You may see it when this child is six or seven. So I'm going to use myself as an example. I did not learn how to parent with a manual. None of my children came with a manual. But I was deliberate in learning from other families that I have seen. And what I thought was a success story, I asked questions. That's the reason why the Bible says, let the older women, women teach the, the younger. younger. I will listen to what you have to tell me, tell me as an older person. I will weigh it. I may not agree or whatever. I will weigh the options. I, we also deliberately chose people who we call our villagers. In our village, these are people that we have said can speak into the life of our children can correct them, and I won't think twice about it. Mm -hmm. From day one, 
our children know who these people are. I asked my, I asked my kids one day, who are my sisters? They listed Olamide, Linda, and Titonita. They did not list my biological sisters. Mm. I had to say that I'm like, okay, I'm doing a too good job <laughs> for knowing. So I have to explain to them, okay, the, who these people came from, Grandma Nigeria, that's what they call my mom. These people came from Grandma D, that's what they call Selwyn's mom. Mm. But we deliberately have a system in place where they know, okay, this is who, we don't call everybody uncle or auntie. So they know. We don't do sleepovers in your schoolmates' home. They are deliberate people who you do, Auntie Olamide, Auntie Linda, Auntie Tonita. These people, I can call them, oh, Kenichi wants to come over. If I ask Tonita, who's going to be in your house this weekend? She doesn't take offense. She explains to me, this person, this person, this person. We know them. This is where we are going. This is what we are doing. Your children see all these rules in place. When they get to school, I don't care if they see 500 people with cell phones. They know in the Walker household, you don't get a cell phone until your high school. Mm -hmm. Because when Farami was in middle school, she didn't have a cell phone. She did not die. Okay? They've seen, uh, they've seen the structure. Yeah. Farami didn't die before she got to, um, she didn't have a cell phone. So if you're asking, Sharon, you know, pushes the boundaries. She asked for a cell phone, but I mommy. I wonder where she gets that from. I don't know. Yeah. Mommy, so, so, so and so has a <laughs> cell phone. Before I could respond, Sierra told her, what is your last name? Not too. And I was like, whoa. I didn't, it's what has been instilled mm. in them. At the end of the day, train up a child in the way they should go. That doesn't just include the Bible. Those things will come out somehow. So we Amen. just need to do our part and believe God. I got a call today, FaceTime, from Linda. And she said, I want to ask you some questions. Please, can you answer? Immediately, I knew that my little girl at home was mad. So I said, well, she says, do we do sleepovers? And then she turned the phone to face my darling Christelle. I said, no, we don't do sleepovers. She said, do we do sleepovers at our schoolmates' home? I said, no. So I explained to Christelle why we don't do sleepovers. We love you. You can do sleepover. You know, so I went through that. Again, it's because she has a village that she trusts. Who can, and this child knows, okay, I can trust this person. So there are things that your children may face at school. But if you've done what God will help you do at a very young put age. Put a structure around them. Put a structure. Them to, yes. Now, well, they are not, they are not they afraid not to be different. Yes. They will make mistakes mm -hmm. here and there. They will, yeah. but that that stuff that has been laid in them. That foundation. get in trouble. Yes, it's there. It's Remember there. the verse of scripture I read that to the house that was built on a, a rock, yes. the same circumstances of life came. So it doesn't mean that because we do these things that our children are going to be immune from the pressures, pressures of life. But if you put them on the right foundation they'll be able to withstand those yes. pressures. Let me say this. Let me read from Psalm 119, verse 9 through 16. It said, Wherewith shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to the With my whole heart have I sought thee, O Lord. Let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Blessed art thou, O Lord. Teach me thy statutes. With my lips have I declared the judgments of thy mouth. 
I have rejoiced in the way of thy testimonies as, as much as in all riches. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. I will delight myself in thy statutes and I will not forget thy word. Why am I reading this? Some guy asked a question on Sunday. He said, look, so um, he's, he wants to, because when my wife and I were talking about this issue, because of our experience, she was overly sensitive. And so there's a saying in Igbo land that the man that has been stung by a bee, when they see a, bo- a, a huge fly coming, they take off. <laughs> because in, in the state of panic, you can't see the distinction between a huge fly and a bumblebee. So you run for cover. So she was, I was saying, we need to be very, very careful because we don't want to teach our young women to be afraid of men. Otherwise, they'd be afraid of fathers and brothers and uncles. And not every father, mother, brother, uncle is, is a predator. Those ones are aberrations. But the guy asked the question, okay, so how do we, what kind of information do we give them at what stage? And I said to them, I used an analogy for revenue officers, those that are treasury agents, that when they go, when they are training them to detect counterfeit currency, that they're not particularly concerned about about counterfeit currency. They so school them in what is right, in what is the true proper currency, so that by touch, by sense, by feel, they can tell what is genuine from what is artificial. And I'm saying, like you said, if we train up our children and ground them in that which is real, when they see the artificial, they run away from it. I tell you, I, I, I grew up on sugar. God help me. That's why my, I'm bigger than God intended. <laughs> but I was so used to sugar. I so loved sugar. Now, when I took artificial, how many of you have had uh, artificial, maybe this uh, sweeteners that they put in? It tastes horrible, doesn't it? Well, how do you know it's horrible? Because you know what the real deal is supposed to taste like. <laughs> I, it, it works. It works. Ground your children in the truth of God's word. Give it to them in manageable chunks. Things that they can process when they're old. But you're laying that foundation and you build it precept upon precept. As they are able to understand chew harder meat. You know, he said in Hebrews 6, he said, look, though you should be teaching yourself, like you still have need and instruction of milk. It says strong meat is for the mature. Those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern truth from evil. Hebrews chapter 6. What does that mean? Children are not born eating milk, uh, eating meat. They graduate into meat. Same thing. The word of God is our food. Thy word is, uh, I've, I've desired thy word more than my necessary food. They, there's milk, the milk of the word of God. There's appropriate milk for children. But if your children, all they're eating is milk, when they're adults, they'll be malnourished. So you need to graduate their diet as they're getting older and have the capacity to process that information. Because if you give a baby heavy food, it will cause them constipation and cause real issues for them. That's the duty of a parent. I can't teach you that because God gave them to you. And you know the bent, the inclination, the direction of your children. 
Not all children. Children that come from the same parent, three children, have three distinct set of fingerprints. So each child is unique. And so one of the duties of, a, 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 of an involved, active, engaged parent is to understand the unique nuances and the differences in my child. That maybe this one I can yell at, but if I yell at this one, it will break their spirit. So I speak differently to them. That's, that's really, the, that's why it's not for cowards. Because the tendency is that we get lazy and we want to use a one-size-fits-all broad brush for everyone. And if you do that, that's lazy parenting. That's, in fact, in, in Deuteronomy, I think uh, Deuteronomy 6, in the Jewish Shema, the word of God says this, Hear, O Israel, thy Lord thy Deuteronomy 6, 4, the Lord thy God is one God. And these instructions, these words that I speak to you today, you shall teach them to your children and to your children's children. You shall teach it to them when you sit down and when you get up. You shall teach it to them when you're walking, when you lie down and when you wake up. Your life is a, is a Bible, a constant instruction for your children. Because they're watching you, they're hearing you, but they're watching you, but they also want to see you do it. Because that's how they learn. So I, I appreciate the fact that we live in a, um, in a corrosive world, in a terrible world, in a horrible world, and it's only going to get worse. Because the Bible tells us that the darkness is going to... But guess what? When it is extremely dark, how much light do you need? If I turned off all the light in this room and somebody struck a match, would you not know that light in the street? So God is not, God is not, God is, uh, God's foolishness is wiser than the wisest acts of men, the Bible tells us. So God, what's happening today is not taking him by surprise. He's made accommodation and provision for it. And his word is eternal. Thy word, O Lord, forever is settled. It doesn't change with changing times and seasons. Our God is not, the Bible tells us God doesn't move like shifting shadows. His word is forever eternal. How we apply it in, in context is different. Okay? But the principles work and they will never ever fail. Because God has exalted his word even above his own name. Until you try something, you can't knock it. Until you try to instill these values in your children and train them in the, way to, train them in the word of the Lord. And after you've done that, if it doesn't work, you can say, well, it didn't work. But we have people like uh, my brother here, Brother Owen. We have people like Pastor Ibiki. We have Pastor Sharon that have raised children whose children are doing well, even in this dark world. So it is possible. Don't tell me it's not possible. Amen? That's all I had to share with us today. That's all I had to share. So I'm just encouraging you. It's tough, but God is tougher. Amen? Amen? The devil is uh, coming up with all kinds of creative strategies, but God is wiser. So seek the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we thank you, everlasting Father. Father, we don't take away from the difficult and challenging times and circumstances in which we live. But Father, we recognize that you're an omniscient God. God. You're God that knows the end from the beginning. Nothing takes you by surprise. There are no accidents or happenstances with you, my Father. And there's nothing that we face today for which you haven't made provision. For you have said in your word that there's no circumstance, no trial or, or, or temptation that's come, that's come to us, but such as is common to all men. 
but you are a God who is faithful, who will not allow us to be tempted beyond that which we are able to bear, but will with each temptation make a way of escape for it so that we can stand it. That is your word, and that's the word upon which we stand. So help us, my Father, even as we live here, to keep the long perspective, to build on the things that are eternal, to keep the eternal perspective, even as we live day to day. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name.